and you are listening to Dream Infringement, and it is I, Jennifer, one-third of the DI crew, along with my co-hosts and longtime friends Emily and Bobby Castillo, who are also co-hosts on the show and in life. They are currently out fighting crime on an interdimensional plane right now, but will be sending in some stories from light years away. It's what any co-host fighting a crazed villain with a superiority complex, but a pathetic and miserable childhood backstory, who has now created a doomsday device, would do. Space-time continuum crime fighting and community radio. You may remember a few episodes back, I did a solo theme about singers getting in on the act. That's right, singers who have crossed over from one stage to another, and what that experience was like for them. First off, we're starting with Dave Matthews. A while ago, I was watching the movie Just Go With It, a, to me fairly non-enjoyable Adam Sandler film, and I noticed that Dave Matthews was playing the love interest to Nicole Kidman, and that seemed so bizarre to me. Like, how'd he get in there? But upon looking it up, he's been in a few films with Adam Sandler. However, not his first film. His first movie moment was as Will Coleman in a 2003 reboot of Where the Red Fern Grows. All I remember about the original movie when I was a kid is that it was sad, and as a child I never forgave that movie for being so sad. Before he was known as a musician, he was actually an amateur actor, appearing on stage in several productions at local theaters. The director of where the Red Fern Grows, Lyman Dayton, would say that Dave was incredibly natural. He said Matthew's decision to launch his feature film career with such a quiet role as the boy's father was wise and parallel to the way he's built his musical career. But the filming of Where the Red Fern Grows had some interesting impediments. The director, Lyman Dayton, produced the original 1974 Red Fern movie and decided he wanted to make a second film adaptation of it. Because he controlled the rights to remake the film, he says, we kept getting called by the studios. They'd done their homework, obviously, and saw the business possibilities. Dayton, however, decided to raise the money himself. So the actors arrived in Taliqua in October of 1999 to start filming. Dayton says Matthews entertained the set by occasionally grabbing guitars and singing. During a break from filming, however, Matthews' strumming was dealt a setback when he broke a finger while horseback riding. How scary when you're a guitarist! His teenage co-star, Joseph Ashton, said he had no idea Dave Matthews was famous until they went to the local Red Lobster and people got excited about it. Ashton had been acting since the age of one and he offered some onset advice. I'd give him clues or hints that I've learned over the years, says Ashton, like not looking at the camera. (laughs) How how fun to get that kind of advice from a child. (laughs) I'm sure he appreciated it. However, by November 1999, 
the Screen Actors Guild fired off a letter ordering all talent to withhold their services due to non-payment. Although just a few more days of location filming remained, the actors walked away and the production was halted at about 75% complete. Although Matthews chipped in over $150,000 to keep the film going, by the time the actors quit, about $700,000 in bills were still outstanding. Dayton said that an investor failed to come through with the cash. By 2000, Dayton's Redfern Productions declared bankruptcy. In 2002, the Utah Bankruptcy Court oversaw an auction of the assets, primarily the film negative and the rights to make the picture. The buyers, who paid $975,000, were a consortium made up of three different companies. The auction freed up enough money to pay some of the main actors and other secured creditors, but nothing for the small businesses in Taliqua. But all this time is passing, and when you have an unfinished film with a child actor who's rapidly growing, it can be disastrous. Ashton said he had grown about 5 inches and 30 pounds since they first started filming. But he was able to come and wrap up the film. He said that Hollywood magic in the form of some good makeup and a very large coonskin cap downsized him. Lyman Dayton was not happy about the auction and declared it was a conspiracy that people went behind their backs and colluded to limit the bidding. One of the unpaid local people, sign painter Merv Jacobs said, Personally, I think the movie's outdated. Coon hunting was a pretty big sport 30 years ago. I call it where the red ink flows. Ah, I feel sorry for those townspeople. They were all excited. They're like, this is bringing much needed business to our small community. And that is not what happened. That is absolutely not Dave Matthews' fault, however. He had nothing to do with that. I got sidetracked. I'm sorry. So he's also starred in Because of Winn-Dixie, I Pronounce You Chuck and Larry, Don't Mess with the Zohan, Lake City, The Other Side, In the Woods, and the only movie I've seen out of this list, Just Go With It, which is why I thought it was weird <laughs> to see him in a movie. And He's been in movies all along. And finally, I have a sound clip of Dave Matthews himself explaining his career choices in a serious XM interview. I'll do, I like making stuff. I just like making stuff. That's what it, what it is. And so far, I've been lucky. I mean, I, I do think creative pursuits are whatever the avenue for me because it's just interesting. And, and I feel very fortunate that I've managed to chase things that I've found interesting. And then sometimes they turn into something or I meet creative people or interesting people, which is why I think that the guy ended up throwing knives at me. Cause I was like, Oh, you throw knives at people. You can throw knives at me or next to me. Um, or light my arm on fire. I just think those, it's just like that, you know, what is that guy? And I was just, I wasn't more afraid than I was curious. I was still afraid of a lot of, I was afraid of, I'm still afraid of getting on stage in a way, but, um, every night, you know, in some ways, but you know, uh, not as afraid as I really like getting on stage. I'm not as afraid of the idea of doing getting getting to be in a movie, even if it you know just an extra or getting a bigger part. There wasn't any other context given about that lighting his arm on fire comment, so I don't know what that was about. 
The song I'm going to play by him is called Dancing Nancys. It looks like Emily has taken a break from intergalactic crime fighting to give us a little story. Ooh, let's listen. Perhaps you know Mandy Moore from the hit show on NBC, This Is Us. She plays the mom. Or maybe you know Mandy Moore because you have children and those children watched the movie Tangled and in the credits you saw that Mandy Moore was the voice of Rapunzel. Or maybe you know Mandy Moore from the very sad movie that I refuse to watch called A Walk to Remember. But did you know that before all of these prolific acting roles, Mandy Moore was a singer? <gasps> Any millennial will probably remember this. Yes, Mandy Moore. She started out with a singing career and later turned into an actor because that's our theme today. So that makes sense that she would follow suit with the other people we're talking about. She was born Amanda Lee Moore. Uh, she is a songwriter. She became famous in 2000 because of her musical albums. So Real, I Want to Be With You, Mandy Moore, and Coverage. They were all aimed at a teen audience because she was a teen also. Her father, he worked as a pilot for American Airlines, and her mom was working as a reporter in the newspaper. And so Mandy Moore was born of a pilot and a reporter. She was, she was destined for greatness. She knew she wanted to be a performer um, after she saw a production of Guys and Dolls when she was a child. This yearning to perform eventually motivated her to sing the Star Spangled Banner at various sports, sports events in her hometown of, um, in Florida and it eventually earned her the nickname of the National Anthem Girl. So I don't know who came up with that nickname, but it is right on the nose. <laughs> um, and in an interview with Entertainment Weekly in 2020, uh, she said that she didn't know that that was something she could do. Um, uh, seeing the Star Spangled Banner. She didn't realize that was a possibility, uh, but then she begged her mom to record her singing a cappella with her pitch pipe, and then the mom delivered it to the arena, and Mandy Moore said, and I think she brought cookies. So apparently a little bit of baked goods and bribery can take you rather far. Or at least it did in Mandy Moore's case. So, so yeah, she sang for the Orlando Magic game. And then after that, uh, after she became National Anthem Girl, that pretty much got her famous. 
So she had performed the Star Spangled Banner when two men with a recording studio offered to produce her demo. Uh, this is what she she said, Mandy Moore said this, she said, two gentlemen heard me sing and said, have you ever been in a recording studio before? We have some original songs we've written. If you want to come and record them to eventually send off as a demo tape, we'd love to have you. She said that in her interview that the guys were not sketchy and that her parents came with her to the session. Good job, parents. This is the demo that changed her life forever. She said, I was recording in the studio a couple weeks later and a man who worked for FedEx heard me sing and somehow some convoluted thing, he had a friend of a friend of a friend of a friend who knew an A&R guy here in New York at Epic Records and sent the guy my demo. Somehow he heard something he liked The guy heard something he liked and flew down to Orlando. I sang live for him and then I signed a record deal at 15. That led to her hit song called Candy. And she ended up touring with NSYNC. They were a big deal at the time. And then it actually helped her land the coveted role of Jamie Sullivan in uh, the movie A Walk to Remember, which was her first film uh, debut. And then she went on to star in films like Chasing Liberty, Because I Said So. Um, she was the voice in of the of Rapunzel in Tangled. I think I already said that at the beginning. Um, and then she didn't make new music for a long time because her relationship with her ex-husband Ryan Adams, um, which pff, that's a whole other story, He was not a good guy, but he was very emotionally manipulative and abusive um, to multiple women, including his uh, wife at the time, Mandy Moore. So that's kind of sad, but that's where her life really turned into more of uh, focusing on acting instead of singing. And now she, well, she was starring in a role in This Is Us and... That was, that's pretty big time. She has not had a bad career, that is for sure. So, in honor of Mandy Moore, I'm going to play for you the most popular song, in my opinion, of hers, and it's called Candy. So this is Candy by Mandy Moore. Sting, born Gordon Matthew Sumner in 1951 in Walsund, England. I think I first saw him act in a movie called The Bride that came out in the 80s where he plays Victor Frankenstein who makes a bride for his monster. And then decades later I saw him in Dune where he plays somebody. I don't remember doing that well. And he's actually been in quite a few films. Usually not the lead, usually a smaller part. But I found a fantastic interview in The Rolling Stone from 1983 with Christine McKenna. 
I have never read any interviews with him before. He's a very introspective, very deep, analytical thinker and kind of fascinating. Like, I found myself normally when I read interviews, uh, my head is going like blah, blah, blah. But with Sting, I really had to think about what he was saying and the intent. So I'm going to read some parts from the interview where he talks about uh, his career and acting. I'm going to use a bad English accent to differentiate the interviewer questions versus his responses. The interviewer starts off saying, Sting describes himself as a melancholy person prone to radical mood swings. He is a voracious reader. He says he cannot operate without a guitar or piano around. He's had parts at the time of this interview in four movies. He's written a script about the Gorman Gas Trilogy by Mervyn Peake. He doesn't smoke. He eats balanced meals, drinks in moderation, and works out every day. Sting was just a very successful New Year's resolution back in 1983. So she asks, what kind of image do you think people have of you? What comes out that surprises me is that people see me as arrogant. To a certain extent, I am. But any artist worth his salt has arrogance. It's a prerequisite of being stage-worthy. You have to have a certain air of, watch me, because I'm really good. You recently told an interviewer that you like being photographed, and you like the image side of what you do. Isn't that a questionable thing, manufacturing and selling larger-than-life images to the public? Yes, it is, but it seems to be a prerequisite of making music. You either become Greta Garbo or put a sack over your head, or you play the game to a certain extent. Have you always liked the way you look? No. Some mornings I wake up and I hate myself, but I feel confident that I can manufacture a face or look given a couple hours of preparation. It's all mental. One of the reasons you're in Los Angeles is to try to get financing for a script called Gormenghast. I understand that you've written it as a vehicle for yourself. Knowing a lot of actors, I see that most of them sit by the phone, waiting for jobs to come to them. So I thought, okay, if I want to do a movie, I can afford to buy a property for me. So I bought the rights to these books. When you're asking for six million or seven million, people are frightened of giving it to you. Basically, you're dealing with people's personal anxieties about you trying to get financing for a film. These people are sitting in their offices, smoking their cigars. Their jobs are very tentative. Still, that's no way to run an art form. I'm told the project isn't commercial, but I was told the same thing about my songs eight years ago by every major record company in the world. Then, two years later, you couldn't turn the radio on without hearing one of those uncommercial songs. Even though your previous films haven't been box office smashes, do you think you've reached a point where your name guarantees a degree of commercial success for your film? I'd rather it didn't. I didn't want to arrive in Hollywood with an air of, here I am, Hollywood. You've been waiting for me to appear. 
I've sort of come in from the underside and played in films that were left field. I want to continue to approach it that way. So in a sense, I don't want to use my name, because it's an albatross around my neck. It may be attractive to one segment of the cinema-going public, but to another it's not. Who wants to see Sting? In a movie? Sting? Never heard of it. What is it? Would your mother go to see Sting in a movie? I'm proud of being a rock musician, but I don't want to be branded. When I'm in a film, I want to act. Is it easy to make the transition from rock to film? They're obviously related, and though music may have given me a confidence that somewhat prepared me for being in front of a camera, making transitions is the hardest thing for a performer to do. And you know, you don't have to have the intelligence of a brain surgeon to play rock and roll. The opposite is the general rule, in fact. Doesn't rock require a particular kind of savvy? No. Some of the best rock performers don't have any sense at all, and I think the performers who have managed to make the transition from one form to another are unusually clever. David Bowie and Bobby Darren both did it quite skillfully. Bobby Darren was a great singer and a great actor, and the man who fell to earth was a clever thing for Bowie to do. Why out of the many offers I'm sure you receive did you decide to be in Dune? I'm doing Dune because of David Lynch and for no other reason. I didn't really want to do the movie because I didn't think it was wise for me to be in an enormous movie. I'd rather keep a groundswell building up in my movie career. So I sort of went along dragging my heels. Then I met David and I loved him. He's a madman in sheep's clothing, and I just felt I had to do the movie because I know he's going to do something extraordinary. I'm not sure what all happened to the Gorman Gas trilogy. In 1984, BBC Radio broadcast two 90-minute plays based on it that starred Sting. And in the year 2000, the BBC and the PBS station produced a four-part serial based on the first two books that didn't have Sting in them. The song that I picked was one I hadn't heard before. It's called A Lullaby for an Anxious Child because I figured the last few years we're all anxious children and we need Sting to sing us a lullaby. So here we go. Hush child, let your mommy sleep into the night until we rise. Hush child, let me soothe the shining tears that gather in your eyes. Well, look at that. We're just a few minutes over the halfway point. And now back to the show. Rihanna, singer, actress, fashion designer, and businesswoman. Rihanna started her musical career at age 15, and her first foray into acting came in 2006, when she was just 18 years old, in the cheerleading film Bring It On, where she played basically herself. In a 2010 interview, she stated, There is so much I want to do. 
I would love to try my hand at acting. I just want to keep getting better. I'll hopefully be making movies and having something to do with fashion as well as making music in years to come. And she did do all of those things. The 2012 movie Battleship is considered her debut role. Director Peter Berg stated in an interview with GQ that he came up with the idea to cast Rihanna after he realized she could act when he saw her perform a skit on Saturday Night Live. Once cast, she recalls begging director Peter Berg, please protect me and make sure I'm good. I will do anything to be good. Don't go easy on me. Don't stop until you feel like you've got it. Rihanna describes offering herself like clay to her directors, adding, you don't do diva on film sets. The Battleship movie, though it didn't do that great here in the US, did much better overseas, but most importantly for her, filmmakers saw that she was bankable. People wanted to see her. They would pay to see her <laughs> in movies. That's the important part. So wouldn't it be nice if she had better roles in them? She acted in 2017's Valerian, a sci-fi movie with such promise, but yeah, the one good thing about the movie was that everyone really liked her in it. Then she was put in the movie Ocean's 8, which has been her highest profile movie to date. Time Magazine included Rihanna on its 100 Most Influential People in the World issues in 2012 and 2018, with Stella McCartney writing, She's one of the coolest, hottest, most talented, most liked, most listened to, most followed, most impressive artists at work today. But she does it in her own stride. She works hard, very hard. She gives to her fans, friends, and foundation, not just herself, but her energy and spirit. And after reading information about her, she is incredibly productive. She has so many things that she's involved in, causes, charities, businesses, side ventures, um, which is amazing considering that fame came to her at such a young age that she was able to thrive in that environment, it seems, which not many that young could do. Um, she credits a lot to strong women in her family and keeping her grounded. This is one of Rihanna's top songs, Umbrella. And for our final piece of audio performance, I bring you Bobby and Emily as they cover an artist who has made quite a big impact. Bigger than Rihanna, you may ask? And I answer, yes. Bigger than Rihanna, though probably not in Barbados. So our next um, singer-turned-actor is none other than Barbara Streisand. Yes, the original diva herself. Bobby and I are big Barbara Streisand fans. I mean, what's not to like? The way we were, Yantel, uh, every other romantic comedy from you know the 70s and the 80s 
Hello, Dolly. That was a good one. That was a good one. Oh, and then uh, one more recently that Bobby and I watched called The Mirror Has Two Faces. Yes. If you want to see some very uncomfortable uh, chemistry between Jeff Bridges and Barbara Streisand, then definitely watch that movie. For sure. Um, But we're not here to talk to you about all the Barbara Streisand films that we like no you can google that that's so easy but what you can't google is what emily is about to tell you incidentally i googled it yeah but but there's no way that you can you can take in this information with the same kind of delivery that's true i guess well barbara joan streisand was born on april 24th 1942 in williamsburg brooklyn to Diana Rosen, Rosen or Rosen, and Emmanuel Streisand. Um, her father was a high school English teacher um, who ended up dying when she was only 15 months old. And then her mother, Diana, raised uh, Barbara Streisand and her older brother, Sheldon, by working as a secretary in the New York City public school system. But the family was barely scraping by. They were on the brink of poverty. So they moved in with um, her grandparents to help make ends meet. And then her mother remarried in 1949 to a used car salesman named Louis Kind um, while Streisand was away at camp. So how fun Mm. to come home to that. That's how it happens, you know? You go away to camp and your mom marries a used car salesman, so. Also, camp sounds expensive. Oh, but maybe they're they're living with the grandparents at this point. So. Yeah, she probably, like, the mom, well, and the mom was working, too, so the mom probably, and she may have been dating the used car, car salesman at the time. And she's That's like, true. what's his name? Miss Bob Kind? Louis. Louis. Louis Kind. He he might have helped her out financially with that camp endeavor. It's possible. He's like, get the kid out of here and let's get hitched. I wonder if she went to Jewish camp. I that, don't know. That existed, and I don't. Barbara Streisand is so she's um she has made it made that of note in her performances that she's Jewish. Well, she was in Yentl. Yeah, yeah. So. I mean, but there's other things like it feels like. It feels like she really, like, um, makes that, like, a part of her, you know. Yeah. Her whole Well, why shouldn't style. she? Yeah, I, I don't know. I just... Um, so she has often talked about her childhood being very painful. Um, she said she was a shy child, and she often felt rejected by other children because of her unusual looks. Um, she saw her fa- her stepfather as emotionally abusive, and her mother um, would tell her that she was too unattractive to pursue her dreams of show business. So at that young of an age, she was like, "I want to, I want to be on the stage. I want to yeah. be in front of an audience." Mm-hmm. Um, she in her elementary school, she was she sang in the school choir. Which is pretty cool. I also sang in my school choir, you but and- I did not end up <laughs> like Barbara Streisand. Did your mom tell you that you didn't have very good looks? Because that no. might have pushed you over to the edge into showbiz. <laughs> she no, she didn't say that. Okay. No. That's um, too bad. <laughs> 
So then uh, she moved to Manhattan in 1960, and she shared an apartment with um, actor Elliot Gould. I gotta, I gotta look this this person up. You'll you'll recognize him as soon as you see him. And then they ended up getting married. Um, and then she was working office jobs, and she was going to acting lessons. They were married. Yeah, yeah. Did, okay. And they had a baby. What? His name is Jason. Aw, good for them. So she started singing in a nightclub, and just everyone loved her because what's not to love? And people would show up just to see her. She had quite the following. And then she made her major debut in the Broadway show, I Can't, I Can Get It For You Wholesale, which <laughs> I've never... <laughs> That's the thing with when you have um, this this star like Barbara Streisand and you look at like all of their work there. There is stuff in the plethora of things that they have done that might like make very little sense and be very confusing. Like when I, I was I was like researching Billy Joel and. There's a lot of stuff that he does that's, like, very hard for me to... It's just not as, like, easily um, digestible to me as, like, Piano Man, you know? Yeah. So, say, I, I think that's the same with Barbara Streisand. I mean, that just means how big of, of a star they are. Yeah. Um, now she's married to James Brolin. What? Yeah! No. She is, and she's been married to him since, like, 1998. I did, had no idea. I didn't either. I gotta look up a picture of what they look like together. <laughs> I did the same thing when I found out. So, anyway, um, I'm gonna just... Good for them! Yeah, right? They've been married a wow. long time. She, like, she she married, like, um, very, uh, I don't know, just, like... A, I don't know. She seems like she has a type. <laughs> so, I don't know. That's all I can Just say. Just tall and white. I'm not, yeah. I'm not really, like, speaking <laughs> to anything specifically. It's just, I, I'm seeing some, like, parallels. So, okay, here's some fun Barbara Streisand facts. First mm-hmm. of all, her name is not spelled Barbara. It's Barbara, which Google just would not let me forget. As much as I wanted to. Um, So she actually went to high school in New York with Neil Diamond. (laughs) What? They sat behind each other in gym class. They sang together in choir. Of course they did. (laughs) Of course they did. This, she never ceases to amaze me. Jennifer, if you, if you were unsure about Barbara Streisand, or maybe you never even considered her as a possibility um, as, as far as like a person that you were interested in, like exploring their their work and maybe even developing a little bit of a fanhood for, um, give give Barbara a chance. Give her a chance. Cause <laughs> oh no, Bobby's calling you out, I'm calling Jennifer. You, I'm calling you out, Jennifer. And um, if you don't have anything nice to say, then don't say anything at all, because... I I hold Barbara too too close and too dear to hear to hear any um, any kind of you know negative Barbara shade being thrown around. 
Okay. <laughs> um, here's another fun fact. Uh, Barbara and Shirley MacLaine celebrate their birthday, their joint birthday. They were both born on April 24th. They celebrate <laughs> it together every year. Of course they do. I wonder how the pandemic has affected that. I can see th- I can see them both uh, doing like a Zoom birthday thing. Yeah, that's true. Um, and it's probably really funny. I bet it's fabulous. Because there are probably a lot of jokes about like, oh, I can't figure out how to work this thing. And like, is your microphone off? And Probably. And then they probably talk about, oh, they probably got all the like inside hot goss about like Hollywood from back in the day. Because yeah. they were like two like actresses that probably saw some stuff. I bet they did. Um, Streisand was the first woman since the silent era to direct, produce, write, and star in a feature film, Yentl. Plus, she sang. Wow. She's amazing. If, if you haven't, if you are a person out there that somehow was able to live most of their life without ever taking in the piece of, the masterpiece that is Yentl then if i were you it's if i were you i would take some time to watch this film because uh if you are a fan of pop culture if you're a fan of culture then and you have not seen yentl then you my friend have a pop culture blind spot and (laughs) yentl will act as a um, as an optometrist, giving you a pair of brand new glasses so that you can see cor- uh, correctly. Yeah. yeah. Um, also, immediately after this, you should definitely watch Yentl. <laughs> Although we can't have any calls to action. so No, but just... if you do, you would be so awesome. Yeah, <laughs> you would not regret it. Well, Barbara Streisand, what a gal. Um, here is the song Somewhere by, you guessed it, Barbara Streisand. We'll just uh, uh, come on real quick because we have found some very delightful gems as we've been continuing to research Barbara Streisand in real time. Yeah, we don't mean to interrupt this musical um, beginning to the song, but yeah. we're gonna do it real quick. Sorry, Barbara. Yeah, and with this music playing, uh, just imagine that we're like floating in outer space because it's very like space age. And and Bobby's like, hey, I want to tell you something. Yeah. About Barbara Streisand. Yeah, exactly. And um. And then he tells you this. And then I tell you this. Uh, James Brolin. He is quoted as saying that his relationship with Barbara Streisand is better than ever since the pandemic. He said, we've literally fallen in love over this period of time. That's very sweet. Isn't that sweet? All right, we got to get back to the song. Yeah, and as always, Dream Infringement, we will bring you late breaking news uh, that has to do with Barbara Streisand. So just stay tuned. Maybe more Barbara Streisand news to come. Bye. it to the end yay you you can tune in to dream infringement next week from 
6 to 7. You can find out more information about us, like our faces and stuff, on Instagram or Facebook. And you can catch past episodes on any app that gets podcasts, including iTunes and SoundCloud. See you next week. No, I will not because that's impossible. It is radio. Uh, I'll talk to you next week. There you go. That's what's happening. Yep. Bye. Mm-hmm.